A lot of people are watching along with us. Things are going to be taken a lot further. It does keep the flow really, really nicely, which makes it a show that was really ahead of its time. Where's that petrified eyeball at now? Who's had it last? Macy is amazing, and she doesn't care about what other people think about her. Don't you feel like maybe Dodie represents the instinctive animal ugly part of us? I might have just been having a bad day when I gave it the math. everyone welcome to a brand new episode of we're in between the podcast that discusses about every single episode of as told by ginger once a week last week we discussed about the episode the nurses strike where we focused on lois and how much of a great character she is this time around we're going to be going into episode 25 which is called trouble in gal pal land so right before we discuss about today's episode we're going to be reading through your comments from episodes 21 through 24 so our first one comes from Never Can Say Goodbye, and we have a comment from The N, and he says, I give this episode a yay. Well, it's not the best episode. The side plot with Mr. Licorice was very heartwarming, and Darren's transformation was very cool to see. However, I'm not a huge fan of Miranda and Darren being a couple. I mean, how does that even work since in the first episode she called her father to have him and his friends arrested? So yeah, not the best episode, but still good nonetheless. We have another comment from Codebox42, and he says, I think this was a strong intro to the second season. It showcases the changes of a major character in a way that feels like a real progression. Uh, Darren becomes a divisive character later on, especially in season three. But I feel that, in my opinion, this change feels like a natural flow. And speaking of the second season, I consider this to be the best season of the show because it's ups, it ups the stakes more. The plots become a lot more interesting for each of the main characters, especially for Courtney, and it shows more dynamic with the other characters. Yeah, I'm interested. I remember reading this comment when it, the episode first came out and seeing that season two is this user's favorite got me really excited and so far i think it's holding up i've loved the episodes that we watched in the season and not that i didn't love season one because i i didn't realize until norbert assembled assembled that little chart for us but ashley and i have never given a nay i hadn't even realized so um if season two can top that i will be very happy yeah, well, we'll just have to definitely wait and see how that comes along. Okay, so now we're going to skip over to episode 21, Chim Class Confidential, whom we've had Eric Casimiro as a special guest. Our Okay, our comment comes from Alec... Alex Klepp, and he says, Great job on the podcast. As for me, I don't remember taking showers in high school, but I did feel a little uncomfortable undressing in front of all the other kids. Eventually, though, I got used to it. This is actually a really interesting comment from Bebe Speaks, and she says, I remember changing clothes in a locker room in front of other girls and classmates from the 6th grade to the 8th grade, and I did one semester of weight room conditioning that was an elective PE class in the 12th grade. We would switch between the weight room 
and the track slash soccer field, even in a back area behind the school, was for athletic warm-ups or for some free choice days in the small gym. I don't recall taking showers at either of the three schools, though. The showers in the K through eight school were from its old days as a junior high and was a large open shared space, but was used for the grade school PE equipment storage. The middle school I went to for eighth grade used the open showers for storage, but girls were required to use a washcloth at all four basin sinks that had a water squirt squirting out of 50 holes on a brass tube. It was very 1960s. The first high school had turned off the water in the open showers and the locker room was more of a back cave for storage and making out and drug use. The second high school had shower stalls with bathroom stall panels, no curtains, and were make and were used for sports teams like the cheerleaders and basketball and soccer teams. I think we all did have to wash our clothes. The memories are a bit fuzzy, though. That was from 2002 to 2009. Showers weren't mandatory, only had like 12 minutes to change the clothes and then get to the next class. And also, uh, right before we um, discuss about uh, the next um, comment, uh, everybody was commenting on how much they like the new season two intro, Casey. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was sort of fishing there. I, I like to pop into the comments sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I thought we'd change it up a little bit. And we have a fun Aspen cameo at the end that I'm particularly happy with. So uh, feel free to pitch me your ideas for season three when we get there. If there are any little golden nugget clips along the way, as I'm sure there will be. Yes. And now we're going to go over to episode 22, which was Fast Reputation. We have a comment from Cameron Biggs, who says, I just looked up the word fast on Urban Dictionary. It defines as being quick to engage in sexual activities. I can't believe Nickelodeon got that past the censors. They took off leapfrogs, but they kept this? I am. I'm clutching my pearls over here. That is that is quite the definition. Yeah, I mean, that's more or less what I assumed right but again i've just never heard that terminology i guess i guess they didn't make it up though well if it's in urban dictionary it's you know hard and fast truth yeah. of course <laughs> hard and what truth hey uh, <laughs> <laughs> not intentional usually you do those the, the yeah, <laughs> unintentional puns <laughs> All right, we have our next comment from Joshua Morn, and he says, From what I remember watching this episode, I admit that the subplot was far more memorable than the main plot, which was forgettable. The idea of Carl and Pudsey running their own food cart was just hilarious. And uh, we have a comment from... Uh, Frosty Chama, who says, I think the ginger plot would have been a better match for a Dodie-centric story, in my opinion. I love Dodie, despite her flaws, and it would be cool to see how this plot might play out with her instead. Also, I can't stop laughing at Casey calling, calling Carl and Hoodsy full capitalist at four at the four minute and 35 second mark. Casey, your humor is so in tune with mine, and you always make me laugh like crazy. Well, thanks, Frosty. Yeah, I already, I already commented on your... Uh... <laughs> on your your comment there that that was funny that brightened up my day um, and i actually think you're spot on in terms of the, how this arc could have been Dodie's. as much as a lot of fans dislike her i'm probably one of the more positive on Dodie fans of the show and i think it would have made much more sense for her to have taken this plot with a few adjustments of course all right we have our next comment from magical peach internet and this person says 
Okay, so I think that the ginger plot was a rehash of the plot commonly used in Disney Channel shows, both live-action and animated, where either a random person or someone described as a rebel in the loosest possible term calls the uptight, smart, unpopular character that they're a, not a nice person, and they're taken as an insult for some weird reason. So they try various things to be the bad person, which leads up to an epiphany that there's nothing wrong with being a nice person. Sometimes it leads to their friends trying to snap them out of their weird behavior and end up taking Taking the fall for their borderline illegal actions so the nice character could stay nice. They did the same thing with All Grown Up with Susie Carmichael. I think Ginger overthought about Mipsy's remark instead of looking at herself and reasoning why she wanted to change and if the change was good. Especially since Mipsy's idea of being bad was just being a snooty jerk and cutting and lying. The episode's advice about reputations and gossip is really good instead of leaving Ginger as a Hester Prynne of sorts with no, for no reason. Also, Carlin Hoodsy's plot was hilarious. If this took place in real time, the duo could have kept it as a hipster food cart and made more money than all the other plots combined. Mm -hmm. Okay, and now we also have a really funny quote, uh, a comment from That Miss Quinn in which she says, Ginger was going to kiss Jake after he barfed. Gross. <laughs> that's awesome yeah i hadn't really thought about that we have a comment from foey fan since 2000 and she says i disagree i'm gonna give this episode a yay it's one of my favorites i like the both the main plot and the subplot this is one of my favorite episodes. Ginger may not be as obsessed with being popular as Dodie, but she still wants people to think that she's cool. I liked it. All right, fair enough. And I'm, I'm glad to have people chime in who might not share our same opinions. And I didn't hate the episode. I didn't give it, give it a nay. But uh, please, if you disagree with us on any element, please feel free to comment or send us a message. We have our final comment about this episode from HeartLover1717. And this person says, First of all, if anyone wants to license a Carl and Hoodsy food cart, I'll be the first in line for a plate of feet loaf with trash potatoes and fried bunions and wash it down with some slime-aid. Anyway, with all of Ginger's got going on, it is pretty bizarre that the comment nice girl shoots her into low self-esteem mode. I suppose she took it as being thought of uncool, but again, who cares? And she tried crashing the party in order to have an edge. Oh well, on to the next episode. And last but certainly not least, let's discuss about episode 23, The Nurses Strike. And we have a comment from Jason. And he says, I would have to agree with Casey on his super yay. This episode brought an otherwise neglected subject matter to the forefront of this episode. It had a great dynamic by Lois and Ginger bonding over work and even having fun by giving each other nicknames. I also enjoyed the Carl and Hoodsy plot to a lesser extent because it also focused on working hard to achieve a goal in the face of adversary. Such a memorable episode and one that encompasses what As Told by Ginger is all about. We have a comment from Joshua Moore and he says, Nurse's Strike is one of my top three favorite episodes of season two. I love the chemistry with Ginger and Lois in this one with the cleaning business, and it certainly showed a great mother-daughter relationship, and man, that's what made this episode stand out. The B-plot with Carlin Hoodsy, though it was okay in my opinion, but nothing to write home about, it did have its moments. We have a comment from Frosty Chama who says, I gotta agree with Ashley when she says that it feels more in character for Ginger. Last episode was really weak because Ginger was embarrassed over something incredibly twee and unrealistic. This one is a million times better because it hits on something pretty true to life. 
It's really hard not to be embarrassed of your parents in middle school because everything is tough at that age, especially the burden of, of social stigmas like being poor. And I love even though Ginger could be even more embarrassed and push her mom away, which is something we see in so much media involving tweens slash teens, instead she ends up being coming closer to Lois. Ugh, there's so much good in this episode. And last but certainly not least, we go over to the Where in Between forums and we have another comment from Norbert and he says, Ginger and Lois have such great chemistry in this episode. It's so nice to see Ginger slowly opening up to Lois and getting closer to her when they talk while cleaning. It's also nice that Ginger decides to come along cleaning for a reason. I'm sure in other shows they would have given her some dumb reason or no reason at all for wanting to come, but here she has a reason. She needs the money to pay for an upcoming trip. So the plot feels really natural and not forced at all. And of course, it's very satisfying for Ginger to finally get the money for the trip at the end. I would have liked to maybe see her on the trip, though we never see it in this episode and we only hear Ginger talk about it after it happened. That would have showed us why she wanted to go to the trip in the first place. I really like the Carlin Hoodsy plot too. It's a nice callback to Summer of Camp Caprice with the Duchess. Uh, one final thing I want to say, and this, is, and this isn't related to As Told by Ginger per se, but I want to bring it up. Uh, yesterday, Aspen Vincent revealed on her social media that she's pregnant. I tweeted this to Patricia, so she might already know, but what did you guys think of that? Aspen says the baby is due in late January. That's all I want to say for now. Yes, we do know that Aspen is pregnant, and we gave our congratulations over on her Twitter page. And we are very, very happy for Aspen for this amazing event. So if you are interested, guys, please follow Aspen on Twitter at Aspen Vincent or follow her on Instagram and please give her your congratulations. All right, so that is it for our comments. Thank you so much for leaving your comments on the forums as well as the Old School Lang YouTube channel. We love reading them. And please tune in next month as we'll be reading more of your comments. So until then, let's continue on with the episode. It debuted on March 17th, 2002, and it was written by Sheila M. Anthony. And the plot is about Courtney and Miranda getting into an argument in gym class. And Miranda has been exiled from Courtney's group. When Ginger sticks up for Miranda in front of everyone, Miranda feels that she owes Ginger and becomes her new best friend, which ends up with Miranda being incredibly pushy and annoying to Ginger, Dodie, Macy, and Darren. And in the meantime, we have Hoodsy posing as a street urchin to help Mrs. Grippling win the election of president of the charity community and her country club. And with that, hopefully that they can be able to raise enough money so they can buy themselves a lie detector. Alright, well right off the bat, just the pairing of Courtney Gripling's mom and Hoodsy and Carl is probably my favorite pairing of a plot that this entire show has done so far. I'm obsessed. Yeah, it's a very unorthodox pairing. When you think of Carl and Hoodsy with a Gripling, you immediately think about Blake. But no, we have Claire in this episode, and she plays a major role in this particular story. So it's pretty interesting, to be quite honest. So yeah, let's get into the episode. So the episode begins in gym class, and Courtney and Miranda are arguing about where Ginger is going to be paired up in the volleyball team. And Miranda is saying, that she wants to have Ginger in the team. But then Cordy says, but Miranda, you hate 
ginger but miranda says yes i know i hate ginger but she's good at volleyball so that's why i'm choosing her and they have this argument towards one another and then we see miranda giving the biggest diss to courtney that she's saying that she is so sick and tired of being pushed around so she laid it on really thick saying that she's gonna take ginger and she's not gonna take no for an answer with courtney feeling like she was just insulted yeah, it's classic Miranda and Courtney warfare, and they always end up using Ginger as the weapon. And it's so... And Ginger kind of goes right into it every time, although this time she does manage to break. But it's like, when are you going to learn that they're just using you, and they at the end of the day, Miranda and Courtney are the ones who are going to, you know, end up being friends. Maybe I'm wrong at the very end of the show, but... At least for now, any fight that they have seems to always be temporary, and they use Ginger to try to get back at each other. Yeah, I mean, we've seen throughout the series at this point that Courtney is trying to be friends with Ginger, and she's trying really hard to try to get more closer to her, and Miranda wants nothing of it. But at the same time, she knows that Courtney is trying to be friends with Ginger. She's constantly saying about, like, hmm, you know, get Ginger, get, give me a hold of Ginger or something like that. So she she was kind of, like, pushing her buttons. And, you know, we've seen throughout the series at this point that Miranda has been, like, the side character to Courtney. And we kind of see through this episode that without Courtney and her friends, Miranda pretty much has no lead way. Miranda, like, doesn't really deserve to have great friendships, right? I don't know. I kind of, like, I almost felt bad for her at first because, like, she had nowhere to sit at the table and stuff and all this, all that jazz. But then I remembered, like, she's actually a terrible person. So I don't actually feel that bad for her not having people who want to sit next to her. Yeah, I mean, we've seen throughout the series of how much of a terrible person Miranda can be. And, we, I mean, you you feel like you should feel sorry for her. Like, oh, this will be a great redemption episode for Miranda. But no, this just emphasizes more on how much of a terrible person she is. I mean, you think, I mean, we even see in that scene, in that scene with the cafeteria in which they feel, uh, which Ginger Doty, Macy, and Darren feel so... They feel so sorry for Miranda because she has nowhere else to sit. That Darren is willing to give up her his seat and walk away. Miranda takes this as a, an advantage point to hang out with uh, Ginger, Dodie, and Macy, and she wants to be their best friends. You know, uh, at least up until um, you know who knows what'll happen. I, um, but uh, but even with her being best friends with Ginger, Dodie, and Macy, she takes full advantage of them. She becomes incredibly annoying. She's constantly calling them, and she's always getting into other people. She's getting always she's always getting into their business. So. Yeah, an episode that could have been a good opportunity for us to get to know Miranda a little bit more, but no, that doesn't exactly happen here. Yeah, it's a little disappointing in that regard. I also found the episode just to be too, almost too stressful to watch. Like, I know it's all low-stakes drama, but how seriously they all take it was kind of stressing me out, and I was, like, wanting to not watch it. And I was glad. It doesn't mean I didn't like it. It was just a little difficult at times, but I did, of course, enjoy the Carl Hoodsy side plot, which I'm sure we'll have to spend some time dissecting, and maybe I'm in the minority, but it was one of my favorite Hood Carl Hoodsy side plots of the whole show so far. Oh, there's some golden moments with Carl and Hoodsy in this one, for sure. Them sort of succumbing to the uh, wealthy lifestyle I thought was fun to see. Yeah, so th their plot starts off with them trying to save up money so they can get themselves a lie detector for $400. And they're thinking about ways of trying to raise the money. 
So we see Hoodie sticking his hand in the sewer to grab a dollar, and all of a sudden we have Mrs. Grippling and um and Winston driving over, and they see Hoodie at the sewers, and they automatically stop, and. Uh, Mrs. Grippling assumes that he was a um, an urchin boy. He was basically a homeless boy in the streets. And that kind of gave Mrs. Grippling an idea to use Hoodsy as a leadway so that she can be able to have a chance to win the president of the charity committee and her country club. So she's trying to compete against this other woman who has a huge resume of helping out in soup kitchens and she wants to be able to defeat her. And so she thinks that by disguising Hoodsie as a street urchin and having everybody in the country club feeling sorry for him, she can have her way up into becoming president. And it works. And they get a check for $400, and pretty much at that point on, you would think that immediately they would go over and buy the lie detector, and they just leave, um, you know, Mrs. Grippling with her stuff. But no, they actually get themselves really comfortable with the luxurious life. Well, I love, as for why Hoodsie is the one who plays the street urchin and not Carl. Carl says, I'm too robust, Hoods. No one would buy it. And you're, I forget the wording exactly, but he basically says, like, you're, you're, like, perfect for it or something, and you're sickly, and so I thought that was funny. Robust of all the words to describe Carl Foutley. Yeah, I think that for the most part, um, just seeing Carl and Hoodsie out of their elements, I mean, they're not exactly the ones playing the prank. It's Mrs. Grippling who's convincing them to say a big lie in front of a bunch of rich people. So they're just going along for the ride. And it's actually a really nice change of pace, considering that they're the ones who are doing the scheming. They're not the ones who are involved with other people's schemes. Right. I was devastated that we don't really... It's off-screen, right? Hoodsy's, like, actual performance. Yeah, we never see it. Uh, I was really looking forward to it, too. Continuing with Ginger's side plot. So, Miranda starts hanging out with Ginger, Doty and Macy a lot more. And uh, she gets into the car. And it, there's this scene in which when uh, Lois is picking up Ginger, Doty and Macy, and then Miranda squeezes herself in, she says, if there's no more room for you guys, you can always take the bus. And then... Um, and then she kind of like tries to squeeze herself in with making Ginger very uncomfortable because she has her long legs. And then we have uh, Ginger, Dodie, Macy, and Darren having a meeting on what to do with Miranda. And the scary thing is, is that when Miranda senses that there's something going on, she climbs the window and she pushes Darren all the way down. And she said, oh, I knew I had a, I had a strong instinct that you guys were having a meeting without me. And it's kind of scary. She pushed Darren, you know, off the ledge. It's it's pretty crazy that she would do something like that. That yeah, and that ledge is where he performs the whole boy next door thing. You can't you can't break that up. You can't ruin that. That's like a main part of the show. Um, and yeah, Miranda disrupting it is I think symbolic in a way too. Um, and she's just so oblivious too. She just does whatever she wants and has no concept, no sense of self awareness or sense of other people's needs. Yeah, um, it's kind of funny because at first, Ginger was hoping that she would use Miranda as her friend as an advantage point to get back at her for all the stuff that she did, but instead, it's just making everything worse. 
So instead of getting revenge on Miranda for getting her getting her arrested and almost revealing to everyone that she has frizzy lizzies, also um, framing her for uh, painting off the Lucky Junior High statue as a witch, she could have had this opportunity to get back on her. But no, because Miranda is such a natural manipulator and an overall mean person she just makes this as an advantage point by making everybody else miserable especially in the one scene in which when she calls ginger in the middle of the night and she wants her to read off from some magazine because she couldn't sleep oh yeah it's an aquarium magazine (laughs) like fish tropical fish like tropical fish monthly or something i was like of all the oddly specific things I would subscribe to that, no lie. I think I did to something like that in like middle school when I was in a fish phase. Why? Because of Finding Nemo? No, because I just like had fish. I did again in college, but I didn't have the magazine subscription. That's why I was so taken aback. I was like, I had a tropical fish magazine. What? <laughs> but I don't I don't know if I'd want it read to me at midnight. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, how would that be? The tropical fish lives in the current as it swoops by in... What? I, well, I don't even know. Yeah, I guess it's sort of relaxing. And it's like pre-YouTube, so it's not like she could just look up a video to like watch fish. So she needs someone to read it. I don't know. The world may never know. Anyway, so continuing on with the, the, so with the discussion. So right after Carl and Hoodsy gets the check from Mrs. Grippling, you know, at first Hoodsy was like, let's see if we can go over there and buy the, the, the lie detector. But then we have a cart of treats coming in. They start eating it. And then they just spend the entire time getting themselves a tan. And we even have this funny scene with Blake saying, hey, there's a bunch of golf carts over at the country club. Let's see if we can steal one and drive around. And then we have Carl saying, I'm getting myself a tan. And Blake is like, Carl? Hoodsy? What's going on? There's, There are golf clubs. Cars that you don't need to have a driver's license to use. But they don't care. They're just sitting around and getting themselves tans and salt scrubs and massages. They're completely not themselves. It's great to see them become like spa zombies too. And it, when it bleeds over into school and uh, there's this great moment where they're about to take a pop quiz on the Louisiana purchase and Hoodsy just says, Oh, I don't think I could even say Louisiana purchase. And Carl goes, you just did, but I get your point. <laughs> yeah. I also loved, they had like, instead of having cucumbers over their eyes, they had erasers placed over their eyes. I thought it was great. Yeah. I didn't catch that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> trying to recreate their spa experience their whole lives. And uh, unfortunately for them, uh, earlier in the scene, we actually see a shadowy figure come by and purchase the lie detector. And then when they rush over to the place, they find out that the lie detector is gone and they realize of how soft they became. And they decide that they learned a valuable lesson that um, living a luxurious life too much can be able to distract you on what's important in life. Anyway, so uh, I guess there's not really much to say about this episode. I guess we can wrap things up. So uh, so Ginger decides to help out Miranda by spreading out a rumor that Miranda is being transferred to another school. 
And Courtney has been spreading a bunch of rumors about her and Mipsy trading bracelet, uh, trading friendship bracelets, and a whole bunch of stuff. And then when Courtney hears that Miranda was transferring school, she becomes really, really upset, and she even admits that she takes Miranda for granted. And then Miranda comes out of the bathroom stall, pops out, and says. I forgive you, girlfriend. And so they decide to um, make up and pretend that the whole thing never happened. And I even love the the line in which, um, you know, when Ginger suggested that, uh, Courtney said, denial, it's always worked for mama and daddy. Yes, I, I noticed that line too. It's so dark and sort of self-aware, but not quite enough, you know? What I thought was great in all of that when uh, Cor- Ginger is sort of marveling at this whole concept of friendship bracelets and Macy goes, well, we agreed that the three of us wouldn't get one so that we don't confuse uh, the, like, what, paramedics or something because she has, like, an allergy bracelet. Yeah, she has a paramedic bracelet. Right. I thought that was cute. So, um, yeah, so that, that takes care of Ginger's plot. And then with um, Carlin Hoodsey's plot, um, the episode concludes with the lady who was running against uh, Mrs. Grippling for the president of the country club. She brings out Hoodsey's medical records that shows that Hoodsey wasn't a street urchin. And uh, Mrs. Grippling got, got revoked from being president. Carl is not wanting to give away the $400 check, but Hoodsey said that it was the the right thing to do. I love the, yeah, we lied to get a lie detector and then we didn't get it. Just Hoodsy's inflection on that was so classic Hoodsy. He's so wholesome, even though he like seems aloof and like he doesn't care about anything. He's got a good head on his shoulders, even if he is a bit confused by the world. He's a well-intended boy and this dynamic with them never gets old, honestly. Yeah, I guess that wraps it up. Let's give our ranking of yay, nay, or meh in this episode. So who wants to start it off? Uh, I will. Why not? I give this one a yay. I didn't even have to think about it very long. It's definitely a borderline yay for me, but uh, a yay nonetheless. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a meh, but only barely. I did love the Carl and Hood Z plot, but the... The ginger plot was okay, but it didn't, like, do anything particularly new, I didn't feel like. Like, it didn't really explore any new dynamics that were mind-blowing to me, but I'll give it a strong meh. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with Ashley. I'm gonna have to give it a meh as well, because Carlin Hoodsy's plot was the highlight for me, and Ginger's plot wasn't that great. I mean, sure, it was nice to see a plot focusing on Courtney and Miranda's friendship, but it wasn't anything that we hadn't seen before. So, yeah, I'll just probably leave it as a meh. Thanks so much for listening, you guys, and join us next week for episode... 26 of As Told by Ginger and the 25th episode of We're In Between.